It's good to be back with you. Many of you coming back from holiday uh, travel. Our students, uh, most of them are back, and we're so glad to have them back and to see them. I hope that your time away was enriching and a blessing for you and allowed you to rest. God's plan for a healthy church is study through the books of First and Second Corinthians. The highs and lows of ministry are where we are now in chapter 6, uh, dealing with hardship, in particular consistent admonition, and we'll see where we're going to go with this. This is Second uh, Corinthians 6.11, but we'll start in Hebrews 12. Sometimes we take, I think, Christianity for granted in some respects, as if the New Testament has always found its home among men. Not so. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear. We certainly are blessed that we live in the age of the final revelation of God in Christ. But this being so, as we've seen in our passage, our responsibilities are considerable. I think as we've gone through here, you've been able to see that it's not us making demands on God, but God making demands on us to do some certain things and to do them well. And the Corinthians give, give us that example, as Paul makes it very clear, that God expects them to endure in the hardships and in the responses and in the incongruities that come with faithful ministry. And in that way, they're commended for doing the ministry as the Lord would uh, say that it should be done. And, and the knowledge of what we are to endure and do as ambassadors of Christ sometimes comes through admonition and sometimes it comes through chastening. And if Paul, whose ministry is really presented by the New Testament as an example to follow, was admonished by the Lord and chastened by him throughout his ministry, what would we imagine then that our part would be? If you think about it that way, if the Apostle Paul is the example of faithful ministry, of commended ministry, and the Lord has admonished and chastened him throughout his life, what would we imagine then that we would have as portion of our life? God expects obedience to his word, and when we're not where we want, he wants us to be, chastening can result. And, uh, and the thing about chastening is, is that it always presumes a family relationship. And so as we think about the admonitions that come from the Lord and the chastening that comes if we're not where we want to be, it presumes a family relationship. The Lord never corrects the world of unbelievers. Christ informed the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. And I give correction. If you're being chastened, it is because the Lord loves you. Hebrews chapter 12 is a great place to see that. I want you to read there in your copy of God's Word with me just briefly as we kind of open this next section. Verse 4 in Hebrews 12, it says, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. So there's a conformity that's required to strive against sin and make inroads in the beachhead sin may have still in your flesh. And the writer says, you haven't resisted the point of shedding blood in striving against it. And verse 5, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So you can see kind of the context. It's some difficult times for his readers. They've come to the point where they're being chastened, perhaps admonished. Difficult times have come to conform them, and they've complained a little bit about it. And so he said, listen, it hasn't got to the point where you have to shed your blood to strive against sin, but you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, and what is it? So you're in this difficult time because the Lord has admonished you, has corrected you, he's given you some instruction you haven't followed. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when, he, when you are reproved by him. Verse 6, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. You've forgotten that. That's what the writer says. You've had some hard times. You've complained a little bit about it. You've forgotten. It hasn't been as hard as it could be, and you've forgotten what the Lord said about these very, these very uh, high requirements that he has for those who call on his name. Verse 7, it says, it's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons, as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, all believers, that's who, that's who the all is. If you are without discipline, in other words, like children who don't get spanked, if you're like that, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. 
So in other words, you're there because the Lord wants you to do the things he said for you to do, and he's not content for you to stay where you are. Furthermore, verse 9, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And I think anybody who's grown up with discipline in the house could understand that and, and, and agree. Yet to those who have been trained by it, because that's the issue, isn't it? Lord has very high expectations. He desires for us to walk in a certain way, and he's not content for us to stay where we are. And so he trains us by chastening and discipline. Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So a few things, and you can write these down if it's, it's helpful to you. If you're being chastened, it's because the Lord loves you. So it's a familiar relationship. Uh, persecution can be a form of chastening, and, and bearing up under it constitutes a correct response. That's verses five and four and five. Um, chastisement is unpleasant. The Lord, it says, scourges every son whom he receives. That's verse six. And whipping is, to say the least, not enjoyable. And then this one particularly, it's always with a view to our improvement. So difficult times the Lord designs for us are designed to draw us nearer to the Lord that we may, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, be partakers in his what? What is it, beloved? Partakers in his holiness. That's right. The Lord has, the Lord has high requirements for us, and he wants us to be partakers in his holiness, and so he chastens us so we will be. The chastisement process of which Hebrews chapter 12 verse 8 says all have become partakers remains with all believers at all times. Until you go to be with the Lord, that will be part and parcel of our life. So we should expect that. And then this one, we experience, uh, the experience is effective because afterwards verse 11 says it, that's chastisement, yields what? The peaceful fruit of what? Righteousness. Righteousness. So difficult times, hardship, chastening the Lord brings on us is supposed to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's allowed us to be partakers in his holiness. We know from Second uh, Corinthians 12, 7, Paul's thorn in the flesh kept him humble. Church discipline, as we saw in 1 Timothy 1, 20, with Hymenaeus and Alexander was intended to end their blasphemy. And some Christians were inflicted with sickness. We see this as we read 1 Corinthians eleven thirty as a form of chastisement. So it can take a variety of forms. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. It says, um, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, uh, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every work. And so we see even in that passage that all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for a few things. It's for teaching, for reproof and correction, and for training in righteousness. So many of the things that we saw in Hebrews chapter 12 just now, that the Lord wants us to be partakers of his holiness, and it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness, are all found where? That standard is found in the written word of God. And so in a very real way, uh, the word of God itself is a means by which the Lord can bring about correction in course. That's really what he desires. It's the reason why we're reading what we're reading and teaching what we teach verse by verse is so that we can have a correction of course if we need it so we can avoid the chastening that comes along without correcting our course because the Lord has high requirements from us. It's not us making demands on God. It's His him making demands on us. And it's the way he has given to keep us from chastisement. And the reason why... Uh, I lead with that is this section that we're going to deal with and the hardships and the highs and lows of ministry is called consistent admonition. So Paul has really laid out some of the things that he's endured and we'll see why he's done that in just a minute. But this next thing is consistent admonition and you can see obviously and we're going to look there if you can flip there to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11 is where we're going to pick up. In spite of the difficulties, in spite of the hardships, we're going to see that the minister is required to bear up under those things. And in spite of those things he has to bear up under, he still has the job of consistent admonition. So regardless of the response, however it may fall, reliable correction is what he has to do. And his first stop is always the word of God, as we saw in Second Timothy chapter 3. So this is Paul's plea beginning in verse 11. Let's read it together. We'll go all the way to the end of the passage 
And uh, this consistent admonition, highs and lows of ministry, this is the topic for the remaining verses that we have left. So look at verse 11. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. Verse 12, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Verse 13, now in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Verse 16, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, therefore... Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, verse 18, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, as we move into this last section of the chapter, it becomes obvious to us why Paul has taken so much time to show that throughout his ministry he has been, verse 3, look there, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that our ministry will not be discredited but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. So he's shown himself again to be committed to, as verse 1 says, working together with him. So that's been Paul's goal, so that he, he has no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited and everything commending himself, and he understands this high honor of working together with him. So regardless of what some might say in the church, he has ministered through endurance in the ministry of reconciliation, and, and that is all the credentialing he needs to say at the end of verse 1, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So he starts that way and then gives his credentials about why they should be listening. He's calling the church to live in such a way that they can avoid the chastening of the Lord. And, and so much more than that, that they can have the kind of ministry that proves its effectiveness over the long haul and they can reach the end of their lives as we saw earlier in our study, having a clear conscience and looking forward to the meeting they'll have with Jesus where he will reward their faithfulness. Now, the purpose of Paul's long commendation in verses 3 through 10, which we just got through going through, is to show that no fault was to be found in his ministry, and he has stated his credentials again in no uncertain terms, and thereby to clear the ground for an appeal to them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. See? And the way he starts this section of admonition and correction is such a wonderful reminder of the heart of the minister. And we're going to pull a couple of principles from these as we move into this section, as you may well imagine. Now, let's read our first verse in our current passage again, 2 Corinthians 6.11, and we'll kind of move into getting the sense of it. So verse 11 says this. So he set his credentials. They understand that he's been faithful. They want it, he wants them to listen to him, and he's going to admonish them. Now, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. And one of the things I think, as you re, if you hear that, one of the things I think you'll find if you polled seasoned ministers who patterned their ministry on the biblical example of Paul, you're going to find a consistent wish that they could avoid admonition and correction. And I think that one of the reasons that Paul includes it here in this section, dealing primarily with the highs and lows of ministry, is because having to do those things is definitely a low. Admonition and correction would definitely qualify as a low. Co-laboring together with the body in a ministry or an outreach, that's a high for sure. Speaking correction, speaking admonition, that's definitely a low. And a survival defense mechanism that can be an unfortunate byproduct of having to correct and admonish is to protect yourself from the unkind comments that come your way when you have to do it. Not just from the ones you have to correct because you expect that to come from those who aren't walking in holiness, but from those who believe that you're doing wrong. And so either you don't say what needs to be said, so these are the, these are the, these are the survival defense mechanisms, either you don't say what needs to be said or you disconnect yourself so that you don't care what people think. See, that's what, that's what ministers do. They either don't say what needs to be said. There's obviously some place where they need to interject themselves in the life of a believer as an under-shepherd and as a, as a, a spiritual uh, guide to the church. You have to do it, and you do as well as a minister. You have to interject yourself there, and, and either you don't do it and you don't say anything, or 
you do it and you just don't care what they say. And that's the whole idea, see, when you have to admonish or correct, that's, that's where your experience is going to be in glory and dishonor. See, remember verse 8? The incongruities of the ministry, the paradoxes of ministry. See, verse 8 says, by glory and dishonor. See, praised and despised, you know, treated as a man of honor and respect, and then despised, exalted, disparaged, flattered, criticized, cherished, scorned. It's all part of the job. See, and as we pointed out before, it's likely that in each case, glory and dishonor, evil report, good report, one part contrasts uh, the evaluation of the ministry from God's viewpoint, and, and one is the viewpoint from the human perspective. And so when you have to interject yourself, you either don't say what, you're, what really needs to be said, or you just don't care what they say back. You just disconnect yourself from it because it's an evil report or a good report, see? Paul says, I found you can't expect all men to speak well of you if you're faithful to God. And some people gave a good report of the Apostle Paul, and some gave an evil report, and some said the truth about his life and ministry, and some didn't understand what was going on, and so they declared that what was being said was untrue, and they slandered him, and they gossiped about him, and they ordered in order to undermine him. And from a worldly perspective, as I said before many, many, many weeks ago, you're only as good a minister as the person someone talks about you says you are, see. And that can be what someone who is a confronter, someone who uses the word of God and the word of truth to make an impact, it's going to be their legacy to have this segregated kind of response of praise and intense criticism. And you can get this kind of steel yourself against all of that, like we said a moment ago, by not saying what needs to be said or disconnecting your feelings and losing the perspective of love. But Paul reminds us that in spite of the kind of a paradoxical response to the people in ministry, in spite of the hurtful things that get said when you have to do it, the faithful minister has to keep both things in play, both saying what needs to be said and keeping your heart open in love for those that you minister to, no matter how uncomfortable it is. And so he says in verse 11, he says, our mouth is spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, our heart is open wide. And so the apostle feels free to raise any and every relevant issue with them, has spoken freely Anogen, the verb anogen, perfect, active, indicative. So the idea here is, this is the present, ongoing result of a completed action. It, it's a Greek idiom, this particular word, just donating candor or a straightforward kind of speech. And this is the reality of Paul's continuing relationship with them. So he's not going to not say what needs to be said. He says, this is an ongoing result. I'm going to speak candidly with you. That's what I have done, and that's what I'll continue to do. So he says, our mouth is spoken freely to you. And as we look at the entirety of Paul's ministry laid out for us in the New Testament, it's, that's not a surprise to us, is it? Because that's really what he says. He just says what needs to be said. What we miss, however, is how difficult that was. The reality of speaking the truth, speaking correction, speaking admonition, of having candor all the time, that extracts a toll. Emotionally and sometimes physically. And Paul has been given and every minister is given grace to bear up through the years of hardship and not burn out if their expectations are in line with Paul's. So they understand there's going to be an incongruity in the responses. Okay? So he says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. And it's ministry principle number one, dealing with the ups and downs of the ministry of admonition is this, say what needs to be said. As a minister... You have people that are under you, that you are in charge of, that you, you minister to and you guide and you're uh, a spiritual undershepherd to. You have to say what needs to be said. Our mouth is spoken freely to you. Part of your job as an ambassador in the ministry of reconciliation is to call people back, as we saw before. God is constantly admonishing all through the scriptures, calling people back. And we, you know, we looked at to Jeremiah 25, if you remember, it, it's a, you know, pleaded with the people. They didn't listen to him. God told them in advance, they won't listen to you, but say what needs to be said regardless. And Lord, I sent you to all his servants, the prophets again and again, but you've not listened or inclined your ear saying, turn now everyone from evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell in the land that which the Lord has given you and your forefathers forever and ever. You know, 2 Kings 17, 13, yes, the Lord warned Israel and Judah throughout all of his prophets, every seer saying, turn from your evil way, keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. And yet in Psalm 78, 40, what is the response? 
how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. And again and again, they tempted God and pained the Holy One of Israel, and they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the adversary. This is the nature of the human race. And you are here as God's ambassador, and that means you'll have people in your life that you minister to, and you're going to have to say what needs to be said candidly. You're representing him. Follow his instructions. Put forth his priorities. That's what it means to be an ambassador. His agenda. So don't be discouraged because you have to speak candidly. And regardless of your ministry, it might be your chief function. It might be your chief function. One of the, one of the main calls that I get from people as they begin to take on this leadership role is, so how do I, how do I deal with somebody I know is walking in sinfulness? And I always guide them back here. There's two things here, and we're going to look at both of them. One of them is to speak candidly. Another one is to still love them. Both of them have to be true. And because you have to call people back, it might seem like there's a certain monotony to that because the, the mistakes just get being repeated over and over. Paul starts this chapter with frankness. Remember, he says this to them, okay, at the very beginning of this chapter, and I want you to put this in a scenario for you, okay? Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now, can you imagine saying that to someone today? Hey, don't make all the efforts it took to bring you to repentance and disciple you and the price Jesus paid to bring you in a waste. That's what you're saying. See? And I'm sure you could fairly accurately frame the response to that comment from someone who's walking in disobedience, can't you? You get that, don't you? Imagine someone walking in disobedience and you have to say that to them. You are not walking in according to the word, according to the word of God and here's where you've erred and you need to come back. Now they are obviously not in the word each day. They are obviously walking in disobedience. So what do you imagine the response is going to be? And let me add this to it. As they tell someone what you said, what do you imagine that person's response to what you said is going to be? Do you get it? Is it always going to be correct? Do you think the person they tell that to is going to understand the entire dynamic of that situation? Almost without a doubt, no. They have no idea the dynamic of that situation. They only hear what you said through that person to this other person. And then that other person makes a determination, don't they? Well, that's not true. Or, that's unkind. Or, they shouldn't have said it in that way. What is that? Evil report, good report. Glory, dishonor. Right? That's how that works, beloved. That's how it works in the church. Okay? So, this is so relevant for today. This is how this is going to go. And as you take on a role as a leadership position, as you minister, you're going to have probably your primary chief function is going to be calling people back from where they are in a variety of situations. As you see what the Word of God says, and I'm not talking about your, your priorities for your life or your, your preferences. I'm talking about chapter and verse, okay? Your preferences of how you would run your life is not what you impose on someone else. What you do, though, impose on someone else is what the Word of God clearly says about their actions if it's errant from those places. But just imagine how that, the, the dominoes hit each other, see? So you could frame that up pretty well, I think, as I've painted that for you. The minister now, the minister feels this week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, pouring their heart out, sowing, teaching, discipling, preaching, admonishing, correcting, exposing people to the truth so they can understand it, the truth of salvation so they can get it, the truth of discipleship, those who embrace it, the path of sanctification and what that looks like, devotion to Jesus, admonishing some to walk in holiness and purity because they're not, you know, warning of the coming of the Bema Seat judgment so they're going to build with the right materials because you don't want to get there and have all that tried with fire, just walk out of there with your, with your robe of righteousness and that's all that's left for your entire life, see? And this is all part and parcel of being a minister. So you want people to understand the urgency of it all and the importance of it all and that, that this, even chapter 6, uh, not including the thousands of other places, these are God's requirements for you, see? And we're in a culture where we just talk about God's love and just, you know, rest in the Lord and, and th these are all true. But do you think he doesn't have a job for you? 
And do you think he hasn't framed it out pretty carefully how you're supposed to walk? And do you think that he's not concerned about that at all? Because, beloved, you've missed a huge section of where Christianity is supposed to be, which is why the modern church is a mile wide and an inch deep. See? It's got to impact your life at some point. See? And, and sometimes you're, you're doing all these things and you just watch people slip and slide and disobey and their life isn't what it ought to be. And there can be very disappointing responses. And mark this, beloved, if you're not carefully understanding that this is always your job and this is the nature of the human race and this has been the nature of those who've called by the Lord all through the Scriptures to be called back, to be called back, to be called back, has been modeled by the Lord over and over, you may end up asking yourself if all the effort wasn't all for nothing. If all the effort wasn't all for nothing. See? You have somebody who will sit in the church for years and then decide they're going to leave their spouse and go chase after someone who's not their wife or their husband. And you just think back, how many times did we talk about that stuff and then people just decide... And then you go and say something to them, and then, of course, they talk to someone else, and then all of a sudden that's back on you like you were so unkind to them. See that? Honor, dishonor. Evil report, good report. And you just, if you're not careful, and you don't understand that this is your job, and perhaps your main job, see, you get hit a few too many times by people bearing bad report, so it's easy to do what many ministry, uh, ministers do in today's modern church. They just don't say anything. They're just not going to interject themselves in that. See? And so Paul calls them back, and he calls them back, and it's part of our job to do that. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. I continue to be candid with you. I'm committed to raise every relevant issue with you. And not only that, it's connected to another principle in dealing with the highs and lows. Our heart is open wide. See? Our heart is open wide. This is our principle number two in the highs and lows of ministry particularly of correction and admonition. Keep your heart open in love. And that's really what we're talking about here. See, It's easy to just say, okay, I'll say something, but I don't care what they say. I'm just, I'm just not going to be connected close enough that that's going to hurt anymore. I'm just tired of, tired of the negative responses. I'm tired of bearing under it. See, But Paul didn't shield himself. He didn't insulate himself or his emotions or his feelings from the church in Corinth, even though they caused him so much grief. And that word heart is the noun cardia, and we would understand that in today's vernacular to refer to the organ of the same name. However, you know, in the Greek, this refers to the seat of the emotions. This is the feelings. Our heart is open to you. See, It's open wide. This is perfect passive indicative of the Greek word platuno. just means it's been made broad. So something has acted on Paul's heart to make it open and continue to be open in love. His emotions are open to them. Ample room in his mind and affections for the church. He's not protecting himself from their harshness, and they were harsh with Paul. He hasn't isolated himself emotionally from their unkindness, from their gossip, from their slander. They can still hurt him. And here, Paul indicates again in the perfect tense, it's the ongoing result of a completed action. This is how it's always going to be. And the passive voice means that something's acted on Paul's heart to make this the reality. And I believe it's safe to say, as we pointed out before, that this is the outworking of the fruit of the Spirit. The first of which is what? What's the first fruit of the Spirit, beloved? Love. This is the outworking of the fruit of the Spirit. See? And that passage we talked about just a minute ago in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, you know, build my life on your love. It is a firm foundation. I'll sink my roots deep in those things, see? And so that response, I'm going to continue to speak freely to you. I'm going to be candid with you. I'll raise every relevant, every relevant issue with you, and my heart is going to continue to be open. I'm not going to hold anything back. He's just, a, uh, just as vulnerable as he's always been, and that's not going to change, see? And it's so remarkable that in spite of all the sorrow the church has caused Paul, that his heart's not constrained. And they've said some unkind things to him. And how unlike the attitude of so many people who are restricted or cramped in their care for Paul, and we're going to see that in our next verse, who think so little of his ministry, because mark this, this openness in the face of all that's happened isn't something you can pull out of your hat. Okay? Oh, you can continue to be candid. You can know stuff and say it without love. Or you can know stuff and say it, and then still be open to love. See, And it's not always apparent to everybody who's around which ones are in play and which ones aren't. Okay? 
But Paul has this openness in spite of all the cruelty for the, from this Corinthian church. But you can't have this openness and continue to love people and pray for them when they spitefully use you. Sound familiar? Jesus' words? If you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. See? And really, beloved, that's going to be your first response. If you want to survive this ministry thing, when people abuse you and spitefully use you and say critical things about you and, and they, they slander you and gossip about you, then you pray for them. You pray the Lord will bless them. He'll encourage them and, and provide things for them. This is how you battle back, okay? Because, beloved, when you're praying for those who spitefully use you, you cease to think about them spitefully using you. It's just amazing that way. It's not surprising, of course, because Jesus told us to do it, but that's how it works, okay? So, you're not going to pull this out of your hat. The Holy Spirit has got to be at work teaching you to love and opening your emotions again and again to a situation with so much volatility. If you're speaking the truth in love, it's not going to be received very well if somebody's not walking in the Spirit, perhaps. And then there's going to be unkind things said, perhaps from them and from others. And you're going to have to do battle with that and still keep the candid way that you approach it and the love on the other side. And in the ministry, the temptation is to abridge emotion, admonition or correction or not do it at all. Or do it and isolate yourselves and just not care about what's said. But neither is true for Paul. Our example of a faithful minister, one who is commended, does it this way. Now let's look at our next two verses where he calls them to true fellowship and unity. <coughs> Paul says in, in verse 12, he says, You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. So he says a similar thing to this in the very next chapter. If you look at just look down in chapter 7, verse 2. You kind of see the same exact thing. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not, verse 3, speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Verse 4, great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy in all of our affliction. Now, we're going to talk about that when we get there. It's a continuation of the passage we're in right now. I'm not going to spend time on it because we won't have time to close out where we are. But can, can you see his responses? Now, you've been with us in our study in 1 Corinthians and all the way up till now, and we have foreshadowed some of the things that are going to be said later in this chapter, in, verses, in chapter 10, 11, and 12, about Paul. And Paul can still say this. He, can, he says, you know, I don't speak to condemn you. I, I'm with you. Our hearts are together to die together, live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. And so we're going to deal with those three verses as a continuation of the ones we're in now when we get there. But you can see that this is an admonition that Paul, is close to Paul's heart. If you're going to be a committed minister, it's going to look like this because people who are involved in gossip and people who are involved in slander and, and create the types of situations of honor and dishonor and, and uh, regarding you as a deceiver even though you're speaking the truth like the ministries of Isaiah and Jeremiah that we looked at before. Those people who are involved in gossip, those people who are involved in slander, those people who are involved in, in unkind things, they're not motivated by a deep sense of virtue though they pretend to be. And that has been my experience in 27 years. People who gossip, people who slander, people who say unkind things, they are not motivated by a deep sense of virtue, although they were posture that way. And they're not motivated by a love of righteousness, though they usually pretend to be and will frame the comments as if they were. As if somehow you can frame gossip, slander, and unkind words in a righteous way. And they're not motivated by a love for... Uh, for the one against whom they cast these untruths. So there's no love there in the response. Rather, they're motivated by revenge and jealousy and bitterness and unforgiveness or a desire for prominence or self-seeking or, or whatever, okay? They don't long for the purity of the truth even though that's what they say they do and they'll posture that way. And they don't desire the unity of the church because they're working opposite of the unity of the church. So Paul wants to keep calling them back, see? He wants to keep pulling them in the direction they need to go and he opens himself up to be hurt and he speaks the truth in love and he says in verse 12, look there if you would, you are not restrained by us, 
but you are restrained in your own affections. You're not restrained. It's the Greek verb synochoristi, present passive indicative. Paul says, we are not doing anything to cause you to squeeze us out of your heart. So the acting, we're not acting. It's the negative. We're not acting on you to create something that would cause you to squeeze us out of your hearts. See, that's the sense of the passage. We're not giving you any reason for the reality of your lack of affection. Just because Paul says it doesn't mean that they're going to believe him, right? And that's the whole point of the section right before this, honor, dishonor, you know, evil report, good report. Just because Paul says we haven't done anything to squeeze the affection out of your heart doesn't mean they won't say, oh, yeah, sure, you haven't. And, and that's the continuing problem of ministry, regarded as deceivers and yet true. You're not restrained by us. Paul says, I haven't done anything to hinder this relationship. And beloved, remember, not all relationship problems are a two-way deal, okay? Not all relationship problems are a two-way deal. I, I deal with marriage counseling a good bit, and not all problems in the marriage are two-way. Some are caused by one person. And, of course, you have to say that, and that sometimes doesn't get a good response. But it is what it is. And this is one of those deals where it, the relationship problem here with Paul and the church isn't a two-way deal. Paul didn't share some of the responsibility for what was going on there. And this is what people say, though, you know, when you, there's a relationship problem, you must have done something too, right, Paul? And then he starts the correction, the admonition. So look at the last part of verse 12. He says, but you are restrained in your own affections. And that's principle number three in the highs and lows of the ministry of admonition. You have to consistently point out roadblocks to love and affection. So these are some of the things you have to say. In other words, Paul says, it's present passive, your affections are acting on your love. See? You have believed the lies. You have closed your heart. You've put yourself in the narrow place. You have listened to the negative. You have listened to uh, the evil report. You have, see, this, this is the issue. You've squeezed me out. You have made your heart small. That's the idea. That's stenosis. That we understand what that means in the health world, but that's the idea here. The emotions are very small. House hearts closed down. They're not responding to Paul like they should. You don't love me. Really, that's very simply Paul says that. You don't love me. And you can feel the hurt for Paul, can't you? Why? Because Paul's open and love likes to be reciprocated. And no doubt people would say about Paul, you know, you can't really love them and say hard things that you say to people. And of course, that's all foolishness. I think that uh, you can see that by now. You know, Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You've got to continue to be candid and keep the heart open in love. Speaking hard things proves love. There's hardly ever any human upside to doing it, at least initially. Speaking hard things, there's hardly ever any human upside at the beginning. Which is why many ministers just throw the whole thing out. Listen to Paul address the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He says, that was right there. He says this, he says, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. What's he mean by that? That's likely the case in the church. They're acting like what? Immature believers. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But here it is, speaking the truth in love. So there's both, right? Candidly saying what needs to be said and doing it in love. We are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. So by its nature, speaking the truth in love, by its nature, it means hard things, right? Otherwise, it, it, you wouldn't have to say, hey, speaking the truth in love. You just say, hey, let's have a discussion. It's not a big deal. But you've got people tossed around by everything, and everything that comes along throws them off course. Every wind of doctrine, every, every new thing, every new book, somehow that's got to be what the Lord wants the church to do. Trickier of men, craftiness and deceitful scheming. They're tossed here and there, every new thing enamored, and they were easily fooled by ungodly men following the doctrine of demons whose sole concern is to mess up the ministry of the church. See? Following people who are liars and have their own agenda. And don't forget, all this looks spiritual, beloved, on the outside. Okay, 
It all looks spiritual on the outside. And all that framing of the comments, it all looks righteous. And with the deepest concern for the church. See? So Paul had to say hard things in love. And, and, and it's, it's a foolish thing to think that when a minister has to say something hard, he must not love. See, it's possible that truth could be spoken without love, but the second one is pretty hard to judge from the outside, and they're certainly not mutually exclusive. Remember, Paul says to the church at Corinth earlier in the first letter in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, he says this. Remember this? He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of... Where are they acting? They're acting in flesh as to infants in Christ. Can you imagine having to say that to somebody? Frame that up in your mind. You're acting like an infant in Christ. Is that going to be a good response back to you? Unlikely. Is it the truth? Yes. Can you love them and say it? That's probably why you are saying it. Because there's not going to be any upside on a human, on a human level right there. Okay? Infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink and not solid food. In other words, in other words, I simplified my teaching because there's no way you're going to understand these other things because you haven't even mastered the basic things about self-control and fruit of the Spirit and all that so that you can move on to the greater, these greater understanding. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. With all of their, with all their posturing and everything that they thought about themselves and how spiritual they thought they were, and I'm a Paul, and I'm Apollos, and I'm... He's like, you're just, just infants in Christ, and you still can't understand the hard things because you haven't, you haven't even mastered you know, the basics of spiritual gifts. So Paul had to say hard things in love, and it, it's, a hard to, it's a hard thing to think that when a minister has something to say to, that's hard, he must not be in love. Paul says, I want to instruct you to give you the truth and love and help you grow, but I couldn't. Why? Because you couldn't take it. So Paul speaks the truth and love, and his love is open, but he says to them that you know there's a narrowness in your affection. You don't have any feelings for me. You don't care about me. No sympathy. And this hurt him deeply. Why? Because he, love wants to be reciprocated. Paul loved the church. He said hard things to them because he loved them, and he wanted to be reciprocated, but it wasn't happening. So Paul says, you are restrained in your own affections. Paul's affections weren't restrained, but, but they weren't blinded either. See? It doesn't mean here that Paul tolerates sin. He doesn't. He was committed to discipline and correction if it was necessary. And it only proved his true affection for them. See, it's like the passage we looked at earlier in Hebrews chapter 12, verse, verse 5. It says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. Paul had, had the fruit of the Spirit at work in him. But I don't think we can ignore the true affection he had for them. See, And in some ways, like in a marriage, when you start to do love as a verb, the affection and feelings follow. When you have to say hard things and then they say unkind things back and then you begin to pray for them and you build them up in your prayer life and you ask the Lord to bless them. And you know, in a marriage, when you're having trouble, it's usually because both people stopped doing the deeds of love which then after the deeds of love are done, the affection usually follows along, doesn't it? And Paul was doing the deeds of love and the affection was there, but they were not doing the deeds of love, were they? There was no affection there. And it appears that's the same issue. And the spiritual fruit was there and Paul did love as a verb and he also had affection for them that was really undiminished even in the face of hurt and rejection and, and, and that came over and over from this church. See, And Paul would no doubt count them as the marks of the mission. Now look at verse 13 and we're going to close with that passage. Verse 13, he says, Now in a like exchange, see where we are? And now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. And this is our principle number four today in the lows of consistent admonition. I say highs and lows, but admonition is just a low, so we'll just say that. Continue to push the church towards unity and provide opportunity for it to be demonstrated. Now, so he says, in, in like exchange, in like exchange, which is the compound noun, anti-mystia. So anti is in return, and mystos is wages. And so a compound word then, if, you, if you're using it in today's vernacular in the workforce, a day's work for a day's pay, right? The, the, correct, the correct recompense, see. Here Paul's using it in like exchange. He says, listen, 
Paul's simply saying, as it's been recompensed to you, recompense back to me. I have loved you and I continue to have affection for you and my heart is not constrained and I want you to recompense back to me. See, Love and affection long for a response and that's what he means. I'm dealing with you, please deal with me in that way too. And then he says this, he says, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Now, this is a term of endearment. Now, the word children can be, and childish, can be used in a negative manner, and we saw some of those. This is not one of those, okay? I speak as to children, open wide to us. This is a term of endearment, much like he used uh, the same term in 1 Corinthians 4.13. He says, we, when we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. So you get, the, you get that, that backside of Paul speaking candidly, to the church over the long haul, what we've become the scum of the world, dregs of all things, things that you throw out. Let's see, um, I do not write these things to shame you. So in other words, some of that has come from you. Some of you have had attitudes like that towards Paul, he says, but to admonish you as my, here's, here it is, same way he's using it here, beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would ha- not have many fathers. For Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel, therefore I exhort you to be imitators of me. And, and then that's really the, almost the same essence of what we just looked at. Paul uses more words, but we get the idea. Recompense back like I've recompensed to you. Respond back in love like I've responded to you in love. See, Paul says in both places, I'm speaking to you as a father to his children. Do you understand what it's like, he says, to be your spiritual father and have you return my love with hate? Because that's what's happened. We've become the dregs. We've become uh, the, the scum of the world, see, and all those other things that we looked at. Uh, over the course of our time in these two letters. Now, Paul keeps his heart open, and he continues to feel a sadness of an unreturned love, an ungodly statements, and ungodly accusations. So he has to still tolerate those things, but he wants them to learn how to love and to be sacrificial and consistent and open in it. Now, we're going to close with this, but remember when we first started this letter, I told you that this section, this letter really, in, in contradistinction to the, letter, the first letter we studied, Paul really reveals his heart in this letter. The last one, 1 Corinthians, is more of just a continuing admonition, a continuing correction. This is what you're doing wrong. Fix this. this is what happens in the, when you come together and you have people standing up and talking. Don't do that anymore. You know, when you come to take communion, you're not doing it as you should. Here's how you fix it. Remember, you've got women teaching in the church. You can't let that happen. All this kind of stuff, see. And so he's just going through and he's correcting this stuff. This is the Lord's church. He has a right to say what goes on. And here's what's supposed to go on. See, But when you get into 2 Corinthians, you have a lot of Paul's heart poured out. It's just very, very open. See, And not because the whole church has been won over. And not because everybody thinks kindly of Paul or, or warmly of Paul. In fact, there's probably still a section that does not. And he assumes that they're going to reject what he says. So he has to give his credentials every time. I've endured all these hostilities. I've endured all these hardships. I've endured incorrect responses and all this stuff. I'm, I have the qualifications, the credentials I need. Please listen to me, he says. And then he gives these instructions. And so this is a very small portion of this letter where he actually gives admonition and correction. And the rest of it is just, this is how I do this. This is what it looks like in my own life. This is my thought process. This is the spiritual process where I get to this point, see. And so he's revealing his heart to the church. Is there admonition? Yes. Is there correction? Yes. And we're just getting into a little bit more of that. And in the next three or four verses, you'll see even more. So this is very painful for Paul, no doubt. And yet he continues to lead by example. He's asking for, for the love of a troubled church. He doesn't hesitate to plead for it. He's, he can point out the, the roadblocks to it. He desires to see the church pure and holy and undefiled and loving and avoiding the chastening of disobedience that we talked about at the beginning. He doesn't want to see him there. The Lord has a high expectations and requirements from the church, and he wants to tell them what those are and then live up to those, have them live up to those things. And he's not afraid to love them enough to admonish them and correct them so they'll respond in the way they should because God expects a lot from his church. And then that process of being a minister, of being very candid and with love, becomes an example of commended ministry. So this is what it looks like, beloved. You take on uh, the ministry the Lord has planned for you, and he has planned ministry for all of you. You're all ministers. You've been purchased by his blood. You are redeemed, and you have a place. The Lord wants to use you. It's going to look like this. See, Don't be surprised that it does.
but be encouraged because if they treated the master that way, they're going to treat the servant that way. If the head of the house is treated that way, so are those who are in the house, right? So it's not surprising to us that it's like this. Probably you know, flies really into the general attitude of the church in the modern Western world anyway, that it's just made to make my life comfortable. But instead, it's made to conform you to the image of Christ and then do ministry in such a way that it can be effective from the Lord's perspective. Not holding back candid speech when you need it, always staying open in love, and all those other things we talked about. Lord, thank you for this time we can spend in your word. We're so grateful for the blessing of being able to do ministry together. We're grateful for a time to be back in our continuing study and, and the richness that comes from that. Or what a blessing it is to, to see Paul's heart and how the things he had to deal with. Thank you for that example. Thank you that much of Paul has poured out into this New Testament that we can see what it's supposed to look like and understand you commended him for the way that the ministry was done. And Lord, I pray that we will be conformed to the image of your son and ministry will look like that. Thank you again for the ministry that goes on downstairs during this time, Lord, for the many who've committed themselves and faithfully give all the time and pour out their lives for little ones. Thank you for those who come and do things here under the radar and set things up and decorate and, and paint and, and fix and all of that, Father, for your kingdom, desiring for your name to be glorified, for your church to be supplied. Thank you for faithful giving, people who give sacrificially and generously and faithfully all the year through, seeing the ministry go on and minister, uh, missionaries supported and the needs of the church met. Lord, we're so grateful for so much that goes on. Thank you for the many men and women who are very godly and desire to live righteous lives and have embraced and the difficult things you expected from us and desire to live that way. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, not because we can pull that out of our hat or do it in the flesh, but knowing that you've, you've supplied the resources we need and we can be those kinds of people. So continue to reinforce that, as Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, as you have done it, do so even more. So as you're always faithful to do when your word goes out, it doesn't come back empty, but accomplishes what you sent it out to do. Do that today, Father, and every day that we meet. And in every class that uses your word, accomplish those things that you sent it for. We not, might not be found resisting what you say, but doing it wholeheartedly. What does your word say? What does it mean by what it says? How does that apply to me and help us to do it? Take us into this new work week, Father, being in your word each day. We might know what your, what your Holy Spirit desires for us, and we may have the benefit of seeing the Holy Standard in front of us. We may have an opportunity to praise throughout the week and thank you for the blessings that you have given us so that we can come together next week corporately, just doing together corporately what we've been doing all the week long. And we pray this in the name of your Son, so blessed to see, and we desire so much to see us be found faithful till he finds us here. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.